Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the honor of having Brian Byro with us. This is part two of a two-part interview. Now, Brian is America's breakthrough coach. He has delivered more than 1,600 presentations around the world over the past 27 years. He's written 11 books and raised a family he considers his greatest blessing and legacy. Throughout three exciting careers, it has been Brian's faith in human potential and absolute belief that everyone is a leader, that we are the CEOs of our own lives, that has fueled his energy, purpose, and passion. In his first career, Brian built one of the largest private swimming teams in the United States. His teams finished in the top three at the Junior National Championship four times. He received the United States Swimming Coaching Excellence Award, and 44 of his athletes earned full college scholarships. Throughout it all, Brian understood that he coached people more than swimming. In his next career, Brian leapt into the corporate world and became the vice president of a large transportation company in the Pacific Northwest. This is where he discovered his unbridled passion for teaching breakthrough principles when he developed his team-building program for all his company employees. The result was a tremendous turnaround in performance, service, and success. He loved doing these seminars so much, he leapt once more into his present work as a professional speaker and author. Brian truly believes there are no overachievers, that we have more in us than we've ever dreamed of. The compelling why that energizes everything he does is to help everyone he touches believe more in themselves and become breakthrough leaders who shape the future energize and engage their teams, and build people, teams, and relationships. The greatest gift we've been given is today. Brian, you've created many teams, have been a part of good teams. What does it mean to have a good team and how do you build one? Well, I think that's several key concepts. The first is it's amazing what's accomplished when no one cares who gets the credit. What kills teams is blame. In fact, blame is the single most destructive word in the language of teams and families. And there's a real simple reason why blame makes no sense. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that we don't mess up. We do. We make mistakes. We have things we wish we would have done differently. But when you think about blame in the context of time, Lily, is blame about the past, the present, or the future? It's always about the past, past. isn't it? Yeah. So whenever you find yourself stuck in blame, where are you? In the past. Right. Can you do anything? Not a darn thing. Not a darn thing. So what blame busters do, and that's a key to building a team, is they say, what happened? What can we learn? What can we do better now? 
So it's what taking responsibility instead of taking blaming. responsibility to take it out of the past and get okay. out of blame. So mm-hmm. one of the key concepts is to be a blame buster. Secondly, is when I talked about this concept of what I call silo busting, moving from silos to synergy. In many organizations, there's a separation. Example, when I was in my corporate career, operations hated sales. Well, sales hated operations. They hated one thing a little more, the home office. (laughs) And we were dysfunctional. What we needed to do was to understand that different is not bad. When we say to people, we're having differences, that's a bad thing. But differences are of great value because guess what? Sales doesn't want to do operations. Operations for sure doesn't want to do sales. That's why they chose operations. And neither one of them wants to deal with all the rigmarole in the home office. When we change from ego to we go, that's when we break through those silos and we begin to appreciate one another. In my own corporate career, that was one of the most important things we did to become a team. Once we started to build this idea of let's move from silos to synergy, Mm -hmm. we would never hold a sales and marketing meeting without operations present. Operations wouldn't hold a meeting without sales present. And we started to rock. We did things we had never dreamed of before when we broke through those silos. Mm -hmm. A third key concept of building a team is to understand that who you are makes a difference. So as a leader, it's really important to walk your talk because people are really smart. Mm -hmm. And people will pick up when you're talking and not walking. So a great concept as a leader about communication, because all teams are built upon communication, is the meaning of my communication is the response I get. Let me say it again. The meaning of my communication is the response I get. I like that because we think we're communicating one thing, but we really need to look at the response. It may come out differently. I've done that many times. I have this expectation, right? This is what I'm going to say, but the meaning doesn't land the same way. So I have to really listen to that. You're absolutely right. right. Because when you live by that concept as a leader, that the meaning of my communication is the response I get, if they're not getting it, who Mm -hmm. does that mean I must change? My communication. That's right. I got to change me. I love this great old quote from Bear Bryant, who was the Alabama legendary football coach. He said, I'm just an old country plow hand. But if I've learned one thing, if you want a team's heart to beat as one, when things go great, they did it. Things Mm -hmm. go pretty good. We did it. Things go bad. My fault. I did. I got to change me. (laughs) See, we're so constantly thinking that if they don't get it, what's wrong with them? Rather than, you know, people learn differently. Some people, the way we've communicated with 99 people in a row seem to work. Then we get number 100 and we try the same approach and it doesn't work. And we immediately fall into what's wrong with them instead of, you know, there's nothing wrong with them. They just look at the world differently. If it's not working, try something different. And when you do that, You're constantly growing because you're paying attention. You're alert. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the key concepts. Two more to building a great team. One is your energy again. The energy of the leader will affect the team. Energy is contagious. And to everyone we touch, our energy is our example. In every quadrant from business to family to athletics to education – If you think of the people who have had the greatest impact on you and have got people to really come together, they may be totally different in style, but I'll bet you I know one thing about them. They had amazing energy. And energy is a choice. Energy doesn't happen to you. You decide about your energy through your movement, through the questions you ask yourself, and through your focus on purpose. Mm -hmm. So energy is the other key to building a great team. And the last one 
is probably the most important. It's so important, I call it the secret behind the secrets. Oh. And that is to be fully present. What does mm-hmm. that mean, Lily? When you're fully present, 100% of your mind, body, and spirit is with the people you're with where they are now. It's so important. Let me say it again. When you're fully present, 100% of your mind, body, and spirit is with the people you're with where they are now. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a great question. How many of us have ever been with somebody where we know their body's present, but the rest of them is definitely in some other county? Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you on a daily basis, my son. <laughs> but, you know, again, it takes being really intentional because even when you really want to be present, you drift. It's like meditation. <laughs> I'm learning to meditate and I keep drifting. You're so exactly right. Being present is a choice. Mm -hmm. But here's the key thing. When you've been with somebody who you wish to be fully present with you, you really want to connect with them. But they're more interested in their phone or they're drifting off or they're kind of paying attention to the conversation at the table next to you in the restaurant. How does it make you feel? Awful, insignificant and dismissive. That's a key word for me. I get triggered. But bringing it back to me when I do that then I'm being dismissive of other people and exactly she's you know horrible exactly every time that we are not present we say to that person you're unimportant you're insignificant I'm dismissing you you Mm -hmm. don't matter you don't count but whenever we are present we say beyond words you are important you matter you're important you're significant who you are makes a difference and being present is a choice Now, again, it's harder than it's ever been, Lily, and the reason is technology. Mm -hmm. Traveling all the time as I do, I'm in airports all the time. If you took out the roof of the airport and took a snapshot down of all the people sitting in the airport today and you compared it to the same snapshot 15 years ago, you would be amazed. We all know it. Everyone's on their phone today, either on the phone or on some device. 15 years ago, people were actually kind of talking to each other once in a while. So technology has some wonderful advances, but it also is probably one of the biggest challenges to being present with people. As a leader, you've got to create presence. You've got to create kind of technology-free zones from time to time. You've got to create those moments one-on-one because five minutes of being present with someone is worth five years of faking it. Hmm. So let's go back to the airport scenario for a minute sure. and making the most of every opportunity or looking for windows of opportunity. What is your mindset when you walk into an airport and there's so much going on? What do you do to create well, that, those windows of opportunity? Well, number one is I walk. Rather than just sitting around looking at my phone, I try to use the time, one, to fuel my energy because I'm going to be sitting in a plane for several hours. In an airport but more likely in an airplane, Mm -hmm. I always connect with the person next to me. I test them a little bit. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And I get one of two answers. Either they want to connect or they want to watch a movie and disconnect it. But at least I want to find out because of all the places in the world I could have been at that moment and they are at that moment, we ended up sitting together. Maybe there's a reason. And I at least want to, in a way that's not too aggressive, at least test those waters to see, hey, maybe there's something here. Maybe we should find out. But what I try to do in the airport is to elevate my energy and move around, observe people, 
when the opportunities come to actually connect with somebody, to have a conversation or just to uh, connect with people. As I'm walking, I'm smiling at people and saying hello, um, just to maybe elevate their day a little bit as well. And it adds to mine. Whenever you seek to enrich another's experience, you can't help but enrich your own. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Now, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? Sure. I can give you a really personal one. And that was when my second daughter was born. Her name is Jenna. I have two beautiful daughters, Kelsey and Jenna. Gosh, I adore Jenna as we adore our children from day one. Mm -hmm. But from the time she was about one and a half till she was four, she kind of pushed me away. She was very affectionate to Carol, my wife, but she was really pushing me away. And man, that was hard because I'm a real mush ball. I want to <laughs> hug her and, you know, yeah. I love my children. I'm a very emotionally connected guy. And so that really was a challenge in my life to test this, be hard to offend. Mm-hmm. Because, gosh, the person I'd want to love me as much as anyone seemingly did not. Well, mm-hmm. I made it through by being conscious, being intentional about. This doesn't mean that I'm doing a bad job. Mm -hmm. This doesn't mean that I'm a bad dad. This doesn't mean she doesn't like me. It tested it a lot of times when she'd kind of really push me away. Well, after she's about four or five, we've been incredibly close all through our lives. So Mm -hmm. it came around, as I said, it's a long-term choice. So Mm -hmm. that was one of the big challenges that I had in life. The other was when I had that epiphany about moving from being the best to my best. When I made that epiphany... It was incredibly transformational in every aspect of life. Mm -hmm. I found for the first time a level of peace of mind because I knew that this was something that was in my capacity. See, when we are driven by the need for approval, we never can have enough. Mm. And as a result, we're never fully happy. We're never fully at peace. And so that was my transition, my breakthrough point about getting rid of the almost paralyzing need for approval. As a speaker, I've spoken all over the world and people often say things after the events because they're they're so much fun and they're so emotional and people come out feeling great and they say things like, oh, Brian, thank you so much. You changed my life. And I always say, you know what? Thank you. But you changed your own life. Mm. You know, no one can change your life. We can put these sparks to affect you, but you have to take ownership of it. We can offer the gift, but you're the only one who can open it. So I think those were a couple of the biggest challenges that led to the greatest breakthroughs. You know, as you were talking about your daughter, I was thinking about how it's so important to sometimes just sit and observe kids. You know, I work with kids all the time. The same thing with my son. I just sat and observed him to see what he gravitated to. So it is incredibly important, especially as teachers and ed leaders, to observe people, observe our team members to see who they are and what they need. Absolutely. I got to tell you a quick story about that. Uh, When I went to Stanford, I majored in psychology. And there was one class that we took that was called Observation of Children. And what it was, we had an experimental preschool on the Stanford campus. And this class was pretty simple. What happened was you chose one child in that preschool who for 11 weeks, you just observed that child for three or four hours. You didn't interact with the child. In fact, you were trying to be invisible. But you totally observe that child. I must tell you, Lily, when I first saw what the class was, I thought, oh, this is going to be boring. It was the most incredible class ever. Fascinating, isn't it? (laughs) It is because we don't observe people. 
I realized after the first session that we've rarely observed somebody for five minutes straight in real life. By the end of that 11 weeks of simply observing this little girl, her name was Allison. She was originally from Australia. I knew more about that child than anybody did. I had watched her grow. I never interacted with her. I simply observed her. So we have this magnificent capacity for observation and alertness that we underuse Mm -hmm. um, because we're caught up in our own selves so much. And so uh, it's a brilliant concept. I'm glad that you're so alert and aware of that. You know, I live in New York. So one of my favorite things to do when I go to the city is watch people (laughs) because they come from all over. But just watching them and wondering where are they from, wondering who are they meeting. It's just so entertaining. You don't even have to go see a show. But You're absolutely right. (laughs) All right. So many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. Hmm. What does that mean to you and what are you learning now? Oh, I love that. Um, And I absolutely, totally, completely and utterly agree with that. My favorite quote about that came from my friend John Wooden. He said, it's what you learn after you know everything that makes the difference. (laughs) First of all, learning is like you brought up a show. One of my favorite shows was Les Mis on -hmm. Broadway. And they had this rotating stage and it was constantly moving. And the concept of it was it showed energy and movement in the production. Well, knowledge is like that moving stage. Think of the things that we know as truth today compared to 10 years ago about diet, about exercise, about technology. So Gandhi often said, I don't want to be totally consistent because if there's knowledge today that is different than what I learned before, I want to learn the new knowledge today. So first of all, it's critical to be a lifelong learner or you're going to be stuck in the past. And what it means to me is a lot of the things we've been talking about today Mm -hmm. is to ask more than tell. That's learning. Get people's different viewpoints, value and honor differences. We got to get back to that in our culture. You know, it's tragic to me to Mm -hmm. see the separation that we're creating in our world right now. We've lost even the sense of, in so many ways, of just respect and dignity Mm -hmm. in our interactions with people. Also, being a lifelong learner elevates your energy. Whenever you're learning, you feel like you're progressing, you're excited. Two days ago, read a brilliant piece by the CEO of Mercedes-Benz. And it was a futuristic piece about what the world is going to be like in the next 10 years. And it was so fascinating. It made me think, oh my goodness, there's so much I have to learn. (laughs) Just from even the technology standpoint. If you remember the old Star Trek series, the first one where the doc had a little kind of a device that he would run over your body to be able to find out, you know, what was going on with your physical health. That's here now. We have that device. We're going to be able to self-diagnose using a device that actually can tell us 57 different indicators of our physical health. It's already made. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not in mass production yet. As I said, five years from now, 10 years from now, for sure, we won't be driving cars using gasoline. We won't be driving cars. Cars will be driving us, Mm -hmm. just like the cars today can park themselves. Well, Tesla is leading the direction in that area, along with Uber, about developing self-driving cars. That's going to also mean that the number of people who are involved in accidents will be reduced from 1 in 60,000 to 1 in 60 million. So we're going to be in a safer society with this artificial intelligence-driven automobiles. Mm. Life is changing. To be stagnant is to be turned off. I want to be inspired and not expired. (laughs) I love that. I want to be inspired, not expired. So if there were something you could change in education in the U.S., what would that be? 
Number one is I would inspire more questions. We are answer-oriented in school Mm -hmm. rather than igniting curiosity and innovation. That comes by asking and by encouraging questions. Great teachers want their students to be curious. They want their students to be constantly pushing the envelope. In the business world as a professional speaker, one of the hottest concepts now is to disrupt the status quo. That's exactly what Airbnb did. That's so you're, exactly you're what a disruptor? Uber did. I'm a disruptor because, again, if we don't awesome. disrupt the status quo, we get caught into comfort zones. Comfort zones are actually confinement zones because they lock us in. And so the number one thing that I would change in education is to really ignite that curiosity and that creativity and innovation. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I would really try to teach every teacher the power of the Pygmalion effect, that their thoughts, beliefs, and expectations are magnetic. Mm-hmm. One of the concepts that I teach in all my programs is that what you focus on is what you create. So when you're looking at your students, look for their possibilities more than their limits. Mm Because what you're focusing on, you are going to create. Teach towards kids' strengths Mm -hmm. rather than spending so much of the focus on trying to undo their weaknesses. Whenever we get a chance to operate in our areas of strength, we're turned on. We're excited. We're inspired. We're purposeful. I think that those would be the things that I would most like to see elevated and ignited at a higher level. I guess one last thing is I would really want to encourage that all high school programs at minimum really taught the simple concepts of finance so that young people don't get strapped with credit card debt, that they understand the simple think and grow rich concept of spend less than you earn and invest the difference. Because Mm -hmm. if young people start on that pathway, if that becomes a habit in their lives, then they're going to do very well in that area and not have it be a constant worry. Yeah, and that's an area where a lot of people are very stressed out. Doing that will actually free people. So that's really important. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Brian, what have you read that our listeners should read and why? Uh, Well, this is an easy one for me. I am a voracious reader of biographies. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend two authors read everything they've ever written. One is very easy because she's only written two books. Uh, and her name is Laura Hillenbrand. And Laura Hillenbrand wrote Seabiscuit. So that's kind of an interesting biography because it's supposedly about a horse, but mm-hmm. it's really not. It's about people and a horse. And the other was called Unbroken, uh, which was made into a movie. And it's a story of a man named Louis Zamperini. All I can say is anyone who reads Unbroken will never complain again. It is a magnificent story of breakthrough, of an individual who experienced more in his 97 or 98 years, he just recently passed away, Mm. than any 20 people combined and came out of it a shining light. Mm. So Laura Hillenbrand had only written those two books. She's amazing because it took her 20 years to write those two books because she has extraordinary uh, level of chronic fatigue. She lives in a constant state of migraines, and yet she wrote these two magnificent books. The other is a man named David McCullough, who is probably the world's greatest biographer. He wrote Truman. He wrote John Adams. He wrote a magnificent book about Theodore Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. That fascination with people, it's so wonderful when you read biographies, you learn about actual people and the choices that they made and the key elements that really guided their lives. So those are absolutely great ones. The other one I would read is a classic, which is called Man's Search for Meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, It was written by Viktor Frankl. 
And Viktor Frankl was, along with Sigmund Freud, one of the two most famous psychiatrists of the 20th century. It is his book about what happened to him and what he learned having been in the concentration camps during World War II. It's a book ultimately about purpose. And the thing that struck me the most of this book that I will always remember, I think about it very often in my life. Frankl said, if you would have predicted which of us would have lived through what happened in the concentration camps, it wouldn't have been based upon their physical strength. It was the people who had a purpose left undone that they alone felt they could complete. In other words, they had a child they felt that they must take care of. They had work that they felt they must do. That was what gave them life under the worst circumstances that humans have ever had to face. Mm -hmm. So it is to say purpose is life. And so I think that that's a magnificent read. So biographies, David McCullough, Laura Hillenbrand read uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, man, there's so much to read out there. It's fantastic. (laughs) And there's such a strong connection to the energy that you're talking about. The author who wrote Seabiscuit and Unbroken, even though she suffers from debilitating, energy-sucking situations, it brings energy to have that purpose. And so this is important. She's she's remarkable, absolutely remarkable, because she has to write her biographies completely different than any other biographer. Mm -hmm. See, biographers go to the scenes of where that person lived. They interview the people on site. They travel. She can't. She lives in an apartment in New York, and she doesn't go anywhere. She has to do it all in a different way, and yet she's written these incredibly magnificent books. Mm. Which speaks to how she connects with people because she has to be really good at doing that. So, Brian, what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities that you have? Well, the first thing I do is I start each day by asking what am I truly grateful about in my life? Mm. When you're grateful, you have no room for moaning and groaning. Gratitude is the most powerful emotion of all. It has the highest vibration. And when you start your day by asking yourself, what am I truly grateful about in my life today? You begin your day with the energy of purpose. See, what you're grateful about leads you towards your priorities. Your priorities are the pathway to purpose. So that's number one. Number two, I always exercise every day. The fastest way to change your energy is to change the way you move. And so by moving my body, number one, I need to do that for the simple purpose of the work that I do. My speaking is very physical, vibrant, alive. I don't stand at a podium. I'm moving around. I'm loving it. Um, We're breaking boards. Um, So I need that physical health. How many people get great ideas in the shower? Why? Because we're moving. We're, you know, right. moving that life boy around. We're shampooing our hair. Energy is created by the way that we move. So the second thing that's vital to enhance my thinking, enhance my life, is to make sure that I am vibrant energetically, which means I need to move, which means I love to exercise. Mm-hmm. So those are two of the real key kind of preparations for each day. At the end of the day, very important concept, end every meeting and every day on a positive note. And so in our family, we created these four questions to really prepare us for tomorrow. First question is, we used to ask these to our kids before they go to sleep Mm -hmm. so that they'd end the day on a high note and begin tomorrow on a high note. First question, what'd you do today you felt great about? Because suppose you had 40 things happen in a day, 39 were good to great, but you had one bummer. You had one place where you made a mistake, one place where you felt embarrassed. Mm-hmm. What do most people think about at the end of that day? The 39 good to greats or the one bummer? The one bummer. Yeah. 
Yes. Absolutely. And then they mm-hmm. start looking for the bummer. So we want to be conscious and intentional about avoiding that. So what'd you do today you felt great about? What'd you learn today you're excited about? Because when people love to learn, they're not afraid to fail. Because mm-hmm. they don't look at things as failure. They look at it as, what can I learn? Third question, what'd you give today that made another person happy? Mm-hmm. If you're not giving, you're not living. And then the fourth question that actually prepares them for tomorrow is, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? Mm-hmm. So the last thing that we end the day on is something that went well, that we felt great about, something we learned that we're excited about, something we gave that made a difference, and what's coming tomorrow. And you do that over time as a consistent kind of a process, mm-hmm. you start to build a reserve of possibility rather than fear. I love that. And especially with our children, because it gets them into the habit. Okay, mom's going to come in here. Dad's going to come in here and ask me these questions. And so if you do that consistently, they'll start thinking about that. But you also said at the end of meetings, we have lots of meetings, especially if you're in leadership. This is important to be intentional about that. Thank you so much. Um, Absolutely. Now, Brian, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Ah, Number one, don't be driven so much by the need for approval. It's debilitating. It's paralyzing. It serves no purpose. I would come back to several of the things that we talked about. Brian, be easy to impress and hard to offend. You're never a leader when you're defensive or you're striking out at others. I would also bring up the concept of learn to receive. And that's a very different one. What is receiving? That's a great question. Let me ask a different question. How does it make you feel to give? When I give... I feel energized. I feel I'm in a good space because I appreciate people. So therefore, in that context, what is receiving? It's creating the possibility of other people feeling the same thing. Exactly. And when we receive poorly, we take that joy away. I love that. And some leaders have the misconcept that we're actually being martyrs rather than leaders. Mm -hmm. So I learned it the hard way. When I was a coach, I was not good at receiving. I thought I was the boss. Therefore, it all went one direction. Uh, One day, my team wanted to say to me on my birthday, we love you, coach. You care so much. You work so hard. You believe in us so much. But I wouldn't receive the gift they gave me. Mm. And I saw the destruction that I brought to these people that I loved because I wouldn't receive. And it woke me up. It broke me through. Mm -hmm. And so from that day forward, anytime anybody offers me anything, a compliment, a kind word, a smile, I always receive it in the same way with an honest, heartfelt thank you. I don't want to blow it out of proportion. I just want to accept it fully so that those people who cared enough to give to me are really feeling that joy because you will never be a giver until you learn to receive Mm -hmm. and you'll never be fully abundant until you learn to receive. So that's when I had to learn the hard way as well. So young Brian could have learned that one a little earlier. (laughs) But you learned it. That's what counts. I connect with that in how I learn to trust. I had a really hard time trusting. And if the listeners haven't listened to my trust manifesto, please have a listen to my story. But I didn't trust people. And I didn't think people to be trustworthy. But then it didn't work the other way around. And then I hit that space that you're talking about right now, how people feel when you trust them, and then on the receiving end. And so that really shifted me. And I really broke through in that. So I really connect to that. Now, let's talk about your latest book and where our listeners can find it. 
Absolutely. It's called There Are No Overachievers. It's available in all the bookstores. It's available on Amazon. Uh, it's available everywhere. So I'm really excited about the book. My favorite way of teaching is through stories. So the neat thing about this book, it doesn't read like a textbook. It's full of stories. Every single key point is brought out through a story. And it also ends every chapter with a woo for you. Remember, woo stands for window of opportunity. And a woo for you is just to actually apply the lesson or the message of that chapter with a simple suggestion of simple things that you can do to bring that concept alive. So it's filled with stories. It's filled with a heartfelt belief that when we make the choices, this book unveils to us Mm -hmm. that we are on a path to being true breakthrough leaders, having rich and joyful and vibrant and energized lives to being happier in our families and our professional life. And this book really reaches across both. Uh, You may find it in the business section at your Barnes and Noble or any other bookstores, but it's really a book that has just as much application to your personal life, your family, whatever's important to you, even your health. Right. And I'm reading it. I'm halfway through it. And I absolutely love it. It's not just a read. It really takes us to really reflect on how we're doing so that we can become better leaders. I'm pondering being easy to impress and hard to offend, and I haven't even read the chapter, but uh, that title enjoy the is chapter. beautiful. Two great stories there, beautiful. really fun stories to bring out. <laughs> Thanks so much, Lily. Yay. Okay, so is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I just encourage people, please go to my website and to learn more about what I do. I, you know, I love speaking. I plan to do it till I'm 104, um, and then I might take a vacation. I don't know. My website is just my name, brianbyro.com, B-R-I-A-N-B-I-R-O. I think you're doing great work, Lily. Your passion for learning, your passion for being interested in people, your passion for really constantly trying to not only grow yourself, but help other people be open to new concepts and ideas just shines through your essence and your energy. So it's been a pleasure and honor and a joy to spend this time with you. And I want to receive that with a great big thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. So So thank you so much for pouring into us, for adding value to us. You've been great. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Hello, leaders. This fall, we're kicking off some amazing mastermind groups. So make sure to go to masterleadership.org and find out how you can register and be a part of this wonderful community. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.